Continuation of the very special episode of uh, Hot Dogs and Caviar uh, between Tarvik Hang and I. Once again, uh, Nate had a, uh, a family situation and he has to be out of town. Uh, Nate, we're sending you all of our uh, good thoughts and uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, TK and I scrapped our wing episode because Nate is such a wing guy if we did it without him. I mean, the dude can take an entire flat and put it in his mouth and clean it in like five seconds. He's amazing. So, he's from upstate New York. If we did our wing episode without him, it just wouldn't feel right. So instead, uh, we're, Tarver and I were doing a menu planning game. Uh, if you haven't listened to this, this is part two. Go back and check the previous episode out, uh, and then uh, and then you'll understand what's going on. Tarver and I are basically having a menu meeting and planning a, planning a fun seven-course meal in real time. We haven't conferred at all. Uh, we closed it up last night because we ran out of time. So now Tarver is coming at us on location from the playground while his daughter plays on, on the, on the playset. There she is in the background. Um, there's a kid. I'm not sure if Tarver's kid. Tarver, is that your kid in the background? Yeah. All right. I don't know how well this is going to work, but we're going to try it. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to make it happen. All right. So, yeah. Uh, so, ready? Can I start? Yes, go for it. Next course. What's right. your idea, man? So, I was born well, in New York, but on, I... Before, before, before you get into that, like, so we've already got our hors d'oeuvre course and then our cold course. So, what what's the sort of general thing you're going for? What, what comes after the cold course? The seven course tasting? So, now the temperature is warming up in the menu. Um... And uh, going into, I was thinking soup. Okay, um, cool. Great. So I'm a huge soup fan. Uh, I grew, I was born in New York, but I grew up in Virginia Beach. And Virginia Beach, southern, southeastern Virginia, is uh, famous for one very special uh, food ingredient: peanut. Um, Virginia peanuts are bomb. Uh, peanuts love sandy soil. That's why they grow so well down there. Um, so I was thinking of peanut soup, and also like there's an old world peanut soup. Um, she can find in like civil war era cookbooks and stuff like that, but I was going to kind of stay away from that. That's really not very tasty. It's really just peanuts and water and salt. But, uh, so here's what I was thinking. It's autumn. Um, we've done this, I've done this concept or at least like a, a relatively similar concept, uh, in presentation to this, but it's absolutely fantastic and guests flip out and it's really kind of all, all engages all your senses. But, um, so the soup itself, I was thinking bacon, um, peanuts cooked with apple cider, um, creme fraiche, butter, salt, and some deeply roasted chicken stock. Now, I got a quick, with, I got a quick yeah, question. When you, when you, just not to interrupt, but when you, when you cook peanuts for a peanut soup, is that like making boiled peanuts? Do you do them in the shell or do you shell them first? In this case, they'd be shelled. But just, I, yeah, and just all the little... Easier? Yeah, well, flavor-wise, too, um, the shells are awesome. And I, have you ever made, like, stock out of the peanut shells? No, but I've made boiled peanuts a million times. So I know, I, yeah. I, like, I can see the difference between boiling peanuts and getting peanut liquid. So, um, yeah, yeah, just, uh, just, it's just pretty a, good. Like, stock from peanut shells is pretty good. I love boiled peanuts, man, I, I do. Uh, I, came, I came around on them. I was a little baffled by them when I first came to Charleston because I was like, why aren't these crunchy? Peanuts should be yeah, crunchy. Same thing. And then they yeah. just, uh, now I like them both. Boiled peanuts are awesome. Crunchy peanuts are awesome. I like boiled peanuts because you can get them even saltier than you can get crunchy peanuts. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, oh, it's hard. Really, it's hard to, to when I move it's, down there. It's hard to incorporate ham rind into crunchy peanuts, whereas in boiled peanuts, it's right there. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that I understood how the peanuts were being cooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good. You're good. Yeah. So the process for the for the soup itself, just for the soup itself. So like rendering out bacon, onions, um, cooking peanuts, and almost like a until it gets like almost like a ragu state um bacon's like barely crisp um and then adding um deeply roasted chicken stock apple cider um and letting the peanuts cook until soft uh, and also creme fraiche and then letting peanuts cook until soft season with salt um a little msg don't be scared listeners it's it's not a bad thing and then blending until super super smooth and mounting in butter until it has like a nice silky rich texture this sounds um, great. That, yeah it's really yeah um so that's the soup itself um, keeping warm and then in the bowl what else uh kind of messed around this might sound weird uh but uh mascarpone marshmallows not mm. sweet not sweet at all but like uh melting mascarpone and cream with gelatin and salt and then putting it in an isi gun siphon and um shooting it into a very cold like uh, shallow third pan um okay. and then popping it in the freezer and letting it freeze until it just sets not for not frozen but just get cold as fast as possible because so it'll be like super aerated and right then it so, so it the, doesn't so it doesn't settle while it's chilling right okay. yeah so just until it's set and then pop it in the fridge and then you cut out little cubes or punch it out with a tiny little uh ring cutter so you get like almost like little marshmallow shapes and that kind of thing um toasted and or roasted and salted peanuts right here i got a trick for you have you ever tried this like if you were to take like raw nuts <laughs> And I haven't found a nut that this doesn't work for. Um, but putting them in a in a sheet pan, um, adding enough water to kind of come up to like to cover the nuts barely, um, season, and then plenty of salt, and then putting in the oven, you know, like 350, 375. And what happens is like the nuts, when they get hot, the salt dissolves in the water, almost forms a brine. The nuts absorb the brine, and then you roast it long enough until the water completely evaporates and the nuts um, get crunchy. No, I've never tried a that. Bit, That's a, awesome. A little bit of oil too. Yeah, like it, it's almost like brining meat. Like it's so, abs- the nuts absorb so it's the, like an, the brine. It's, it's a crunchy nut that's salty where you can't rub the salt off. It's a crunchy yeah. nut where the salt is. That's awesome, dude. I mean, yeah. You, ever, you know when you buy like, cool. like those super expensive pistachio meats, you know, that are like salty, yeah. but you don't feel salt on your fingers. That's basically what, what they're doing. That's awesome. Um, that's an interesting yeah. idea. And it seems so simple too. It seems easy. Right? Yeah. And because, like, you know, like, like I mean, if you like deep fried peanuts, you know, that, that works well, you know, you toss them in salt, they're all like, you know, you know, really greasy, that kind of thing. Not a bad thing if you're munching on nuts. Like, but my, like, grand, like my great uncle Charlie, who used to put half and half on his cereal, used to say, no, man, you're saying it wrong. Don't say it's greasy. Say it's greasy. Did you say he puts half and half on his cereal? Yeah. Is he a large man? He, he was indeed. <laughs> I'm not, I, I'm not sure if he's alive or not. He's, if he was, if he is, he'd be like in early nineties, but uh, yeah. Uh, it was my uh, my my grandfather's half brother, and he was a big boy. I'm the shortest male in my family, and for those at home, I'm like six really. Months. Well, the shortest male that's like a, a shortest adult male in my family. Yeah, my brother's taller than me. My dad and uh, was taller than me. My grandfather was taller than me. My uncle was taller than me. Like, and they're all taller than me. Like, no I, way, I, I come awesome. from a family of gigantic people. 
And then my mom was like, <laughs> and then my mom was like five four. <laughs> She's it's her fault. I'm so short at six one. You know. <laughs> Damn you, recessive genes. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. My uncle, my uncle Charlie, uh, great uncle Charlie, really. He, uh, yeah, the half and half of the cereal guy. I told him the restaurant that I was working at was greasy. And he goes, No, man, you got to say it like this. You got to say it's greasy. It's greasy. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> but yeah, no, I like awesome. the uh, there's a sort of brine and roast peanut technique is or any nut. You said it works with any nut. I haven't found a nut that it didn't work with, yeah. Does it work with these Pretty nuts? Cool, right? Yeah, no, that's awesome. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a classic because it works. Um, kind of like, like, like creme brulee, you know, it's just always right there. Um, yeah. Um, all, right. all right, so we got the, the toasted nuts, the mascarpone marshmallows. Um, here's a really interesting um, apple butter trick. Uh, it's like a little, like a little uh, schmear dollop of apple butter, but... Um, Car caramel apple butter so if you like caramelize sugar you know cook it to a hard crack pour it out on a silpat and then crush it in a in a spice grinder and then use that sugar with apple pulp to cook down into apple butter it it gives it like it's all it's more it's more caramely like apple butter is is caramelly on its own but this gives it a little bit more depth okay um so a little dollop of like you know caramelly apple butter Marshmallow marshmallows, a toasted salted um, peanuts, uh, fresh thyme leaves, a little thyme oil in the bowl. And then here's the thing is under the bowl sits on a plate and between the bowl and the plate, big, fat, dry autumn leaves like sycamore leaves or oak leaves work really well. And then lighting the leaves on fire really quickly and blowing the leaves out. So and then right in front of like do, doing that and then they kind of smolder a little bit and then you place the bowl in front of the guests and they get the aroma of autumn like that every, every it just transports you like people who smell the, the aroma of burning leaves you know some people will get transported when they're kids and they're burning leaves in the neighborhood or you know sometimes people think of like just campfire it just smells like autumn and then pouring the hot peanut soup into the bowl that way all those little textures like the crunchy peanuts stay super crunchy and you can watch the mascarpone marshmallows melt and add like a nice creamy note into the soup and it swirls like a little cloud it's beautiful that's that's cool that's super cool and the, the i have nothing to add it seems like you had came showed up with a perfectly realized dish this time <laughs> um and uh, uh i mean you did have all night to sort of like i know you i know that i know we said but you weren't going to think about it but you can't turn it off and since that was the dish, <laughs> since, that, uh, since that was the dish that was clocked in your head last night when we broke, uh, it's, no, it it's, no, it's no surprise to me that you showed up with a perfectly realized dish. But that's great. There's nothing wrong with a perfectly awesome. realized dish coming out of Mingy Meeting. Actually, it speeds things along, which we need to do. Um, so what I have awesome. written down is Virginia peanut soup, mascarpone marshmallows, roasted salted peanuts, caramel apple butter, and thyme over smoldering autumn leaves. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. All right, uh, so so hungry right now. <laughs> so we've got our hors d'oeuvre course, then a cold course, then a warm appetizer. So now we go fish, meat, cheese, dessert, right? Correct. Okay, well that that kicks fish to me. Uh, so yes. since you're since you're from Virginia and you just took a sort of like your ancestral home and rolled with that, then I'll do the same. Uh, nice. I'm originally from North Carolina. I, I moved around a lot, but I'm originally from North Carolina, and my first great restaurant experiences. We're like going to the Outer Banks for vacation. Because um, like, like my first idea of what a real excellent going out dinner should be was like Seaside Fry Shacks. I love Seaside oh, cool. Fry Shacks. Um, like That's awesome. Old school Calabash style seafood. 
so, but I also moved the Calabash style seafood. What's Calabash style seafood? Uh, Calabash is a municipality on in southern coastal North Carolina, and so that oh. like so the Calabash style seafood is like that's what you get at coastal Carolina fry shacks, where it's like you got red rice, tartar sauce, and cocktail sauce, and then a range of seafoods like boiled and um, boiled and fried. Uh, nice. So basically, the kind of place where you walk in and they have like five different fish, and your choices are boil or fry on on some of them and just fry or grill on other ones and then you know they got hush puppies and uh red rice and that's it those are the only sides dude i would live there man that sounds awesome oh well i mean that's that's coastal carolina for you that was those are my first vacation spots but also i moved to charleston and i sort of found my permanent home so i want to start off in north carolina where i where i where i originally was grew up and then moved to south carolina where i originally settled down i think that's a good arc for an origin story because i'm into fishing and one of my favorite things, both when I'm fishing and when other people fishing, is weird bycatch. Like, uh, yes. So, uh, like, I actually have a fish market, Mount Pleasant Seafood, that I go to. I went there yesterday and got some sheephead for dinner. And when I walked Ooh. in there, there's this one dude that works there, and he see, he saw me. And if you ever look at the blog, uh, Hot Dogs and Caviar at Blogspot.com, uh, <laughs> there, there's actually a feature I have called the Bycatch Report, where anything I find that's weird, I cook up and see how it goes. Um, <laughs> cool, man. That's a great idea. That's awesome. And I, I like whether I catch it or whether I like sometimes at this place, they'll just put it on the ice and I'll have to ask like, what is that? Uh, and you know, <laughs> like one time it was this thing called raft fish that looked like a barrel fish, but it was only six inches long and I couldn't figure out what it was. It was basically related to a barrel fish. A barrel fish is like a two and a half foot long fish. It was a small barrel fish. The skin crisped up nice. Really? The, uh, the flesh was really gelatinous and tender, kind of like a barrel fish is. But, like, imagine if a barrel fish was the size of a rouget. Cool. Or another time I found grunt, which tasted just like black sea bass, but had a really weird-looking head. Like, what bycatch is, is it's it's not exactly fish you catch by accident, because it's fishing. You catch all fish by accident. Like, you're just dump, dumping stuff into the water yeah. and seeing what comes up. In terms of like, yeah. not in terms of farm fishing, but in terms of longline fishing or trawler fishing, where you're out in the out in the open water, oh, bycatch, yeah. bycatch is stuff where there isn't really commercial viability, and uh, so it's like you know, grouper has a commercial fishery, halibut has a commercial fishery. There's no commercial fishery for grunt. You just if you get one, you sell it for what you can. I walked into the place yesterday, and the guy's like, "Hey, man," and I was I looked over at the ice because I usually I just get fillet because I'm lazy and I'm cook, I'm doing it at my house and filleting fishing your own home kind of sucks. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Cle- cleaning fish in your own home kind of sucks. So I'll get. Plus, they cut yeah. good. They cut good there. So I'll get. I'll get their fillets. I was looking over the ice, and this guy walked out of the back. And goes, sorry, man, don't have anything weird today. <laughs> my friend that was with me, <laughs> over, over a friend of mine who's not in the seafood industry, she looks over and she's like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah, they know me here." She's like, <laughs> so I want to do a calabash style seafood course, by which I just mean uh, that you know. Fried, fried and boiled, or maybe not even boiled. Maybe just a, okay. Let's do this. Let's do a calabash style Frito Misto. Nice, yeah. So, I'm writing as I go. Calabash style Frito Misto. Actually, no. I'm going to say it all out loud and then write it down, and I'll just edit out where I'm writing it down. Calabash style Frito Misto of just no, man. That's not even good. Not even good enough. Frito Misto of Carolina bycatch. I'm stoked about this course, dude. So it's a so what I see is a Frito Misto of Carolina bycatch. So tempera grunt, raft fish, whiting, bluefish, which is oily and awesome. I love bluefish, man. And there's one I got to look up. Bank sea bass. Bank sea bass. Yeah. Um, check out the blog. I got a, I got a picture up on the blog. Uh, it just it's like it's like a, if a black sea bass was sort of gold tinged in the fins. 
and a little gold tint on the skin. And if they're, they, they only get to about seven inches long. So Frito Misto of Carolina bycatch, tempera, grunt, raft fish, whiting, bluefish, and bank sea bass. So like weird off fish, no grouper, no sheephead, no triggerfish, nothing that's expensive, just all weird cheap shit. Isn't that interesting how sheephead used to be considered uh, like a bycatch? It was like garbage fish, and now it's like a super popular. Also, yeah. it was it's delicious. Yeah, Patrice, sheephead is great. I had sheephead for dinner yesterday. So now I need okay. So I need some help on the sides. Um, the traditional sides for the traditional sides for bycatch are red rice slaw and hush puppies, but we've, we've already got a lot of fried here. Um, yeah. So, and I'm thinking, oh, by the way, for the batter, it's ultra light tempera. You know how it is. Like the kind of tempera you get at a really, really good Japanese restaurant. Yeah. Um, so just like, and I'm not even talking about like the Heston Blumenthal, you know, foam gun tempera. I'm talking about the, like the just cornstarch and club soda with a little bit of like a little wheat flour folded in. Just like, you know, kind of like where it looks like the fish is almost in bubble wrap. Yeah. It doesn't even really take any color. Just like, a, yeah. the thing is, these are all small fish. So there'll be like little goujonets. A goujonet's like a fish finger. Like little goujonets and little fillets. Like this is not going to be a large course because it's part of seven courses. Um, that sounds beautiful, man. And then the, the traditional sauces—the traditional sauces are cocktail and tartar, and then the traditional sides are red rice, coleslaw, and uh, and hush puppies. You got any thoughts on sides? So yeah, I do. I, how do you envision eating it? Is it like would you be eating with your hands and it like comes in I, like a paper? You I know, would paper, totally. Like, I could see this as finger food for sure. But the thing is, it's also a finger food when you get it seaside, and then they bring you like little paper monkey dishes of the sides and stuff like that. So there's like service. The bar is set pretty low as far as service as far as service pieces go. What are you thinking? Because I'm just I'm having a hard time pushing this into this fucking stratosphere. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, well, what do you think about this? I mean, like maybe it's just because you mentioned tempura in Japanese or whatever, but like. The red rice. What do you think about this? Like doing steam. You know how you steam like fragrant, you know, jasmine rice or something like that. Like for like Thai and Asian, a lot mm -hmm. of Asian cooking, you would yeah. soak the rice overnight and then steam it. You know, for for a long time, and it gets like really sticky, and you can actually like you can pick it up. You know, you can like you know make little chunks of it and dip in sauce with it and that kind of thing. Like, what what do you think about like um like a fragrant rice? You know, something like jasmine, soaking it in like um in water that's like has like you know red rice components so like cumin paprika garlic um onion that kind of thing but in a very strongly um i've never tried this i wonder how it would work um no i've done this before but not not for red rice um, I was gonna and say, then, we, we, we agreed on no techniques we haven't tried but we can also bend the rules I've done it before and it does work. I'm just trying, I'm thinking of like appearance. Like, I don't know how much the paprika would, uh, would tinge the rice after soaking like this in this manner. But, um, I have a, I'll have a workaround uh, that might actually work anyway. So soaking the rice like that, steaming it until it's like super, you know, sticky and tender, um, forming little Cornell or like another little, you know, the same similar shape as the fish fingers themselves. Um, and then maybe making like a red rice rub, like a spice rub with like pepper, those same flavors to kind of season those the sticky rice with. Okay, yeah. And then slaw. So I'm in West Virginia now. Uh, have you ever had a slaw dog? Yeah. Speaking of hot dogs. Yeah, they, they, do those, they do this in North Carolina too. Really? Yeah. Well, is this is this similar? They, the, the slaw, like I've, I've researched the West Virginia slaw dog slaw and like what makes it unique um maybe it's the same thing in north carolina but um it's almost like 
a mild ferment, like cabbage gets sliced, a little oh, bit no, of salt. No. The, 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 the slaw in, in North Carolina slaw dogs is the stuff that comes in a carton off the Cisco truck. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Well, this, this is an old school Appalachia thing. So like, it. Okay, they, cooler than what we're doing for sure. <laughs> <laughs> shaved cabbage, um, uh, like one to 2% salt. Um, uh, and then kind of let it like toss it in the salt and just let it sit out for like a week. Um, a week or so like the cabbage you know wilts you know like it releases its juices it forms its own little brine um it's almost like like the beginnings of sauerkraut but you don't take it that far okay and yeah, then, like light ferment yeah it's like a light ferment maybe not a full week like a couple days until like it forms like that nice brine and kind of and then and and it looks nice uh then the the juice gets wrung out like you put the cabbage in like a in a cloth and wring out all the juice and then it's french's yellow mustard um, a, a, like a little bit of honey, um, a little bit of mayonnaise and salt. And sometimes you see like chopped up like herbs, like parsley and that kind of thing. And that's it. But it's, okay. it has like, it's, it has, it's like a, it's a sweet and sour slaw. Like a lot of slaws are, but like, it has like this kind of fermentiness to it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I definitely like the idea of a, uh, like a semi-fermented slaw. I think that's a great, that's a great touch. Um, that's, that, that makes slaw interesting. Cause like, I'm not a big coleslaw fan. Unless it's got something going on with it that makes it more than just coleslaw. Yeah. Because uh, coleslaw is just not America's best invention. Um, but that <laughs> sounds great. All right, it's so, pretty good. It's, it's damn good on a hot dog. But what do you think about doing something like that for the slaw component, but with something besides cabbage? Like like maybe even like a root vegetable or like um, um, oh, what are those things called? They taste like cabbage and a turnip at the same time. What are Kohlrabi? Uh, kohlrabi. Like what's something like okay. kohlrabi or celery? Yeah, that's a great idea. Kohl, a fermented a fermented kohlrabi slaw sounds great. Yeah, that sounds pretty. That sounds pretty cool. And the cool thing is, um, this this dish that started off as all American with the red rice dumplings and the fermented kohlrabi slaw, it's got this kind of like almost Korean influence to it, without yeah. any without any nod to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we should take it just a little bit further. And finish it off with a with a cocktail sauce that's flavored with gochujang. Oh man, that sounds awesome, dude! That sounds really good. And then I had an idea for one more component, and I want you to tell me if you think it's a bridge too far. And that is, you Go know, how, like you know how lazy Frito Mistos always come with like a shower of parmesan on it with a microplane. Yeah. How about do the same thing but with fresh horseradish? Oh, dude, beautiful! Oh, yeah, beautiful, man. That's beautiful. To, How about this make, for the hush puppy instead of like to to do a cocktail? Actually, I think we have enough, man. We've already got a starch and a and a veg. Well, okay. what, and there's batter on the fish, like and and because like when you eat hush puppies with calabash style seafood, that's not part of a seven course meal. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you, uh, you know, you've got the batter in there, but uh, okay. So the way the way let me tell you the the thing is the the way it reads now. I think we have a complete dish. And I think so too. Sounds Fr awesome. Frito misto of Carolina bycatch, tempera grunt. Raft fish, whiting, bluefish, and bank sea bass, red rice dumplings, fermented kohlrabi slaw, gochujang cocktail sauce, fresh horseradish. That sounds awesome, man. Just going to throw this out there. We haven't really talked about doing bread service. What what oh. if bread, and usually like bread service, you might think of um, maybe during soup. So you have bre bread to dip in the soup. Or what if yeah. the bread service came along with the, um, with the bycatch course? Uh, you know what if the what if the bread service was 
because I was the only reason I'm saying I, I was thinking like for hush puppy, I was thinking like, what if we did like a, a yeasted savory donut? You know, that's like seasoned with like you know onion and onion juice and that kind of thing. What if we did like super light, airy, puffy hush puppies with like you know uh, anchovy butter or something like Ooh. like or like a butter that's salted with um, oh my god, my brain. What's the Italian fish sauce? Colatura. Yeah. Okay, you got me. Yeah, I think that's that's a great combination of of your style and mine. Um, so bread service, we just keep, keep the bread coming off and on, but just like that, that would, that could, you know, start, I would say start bread during soup. It's the most logical time to have it. And then just, you know, yeah, have it out there. So just an interesting idea. We just kind of put that on as, as a note. I'm making it right now. I think it'd be really tasty. Yeasted savory donut, cola tura butter. For the, me, of course, this that's the one I was gonna think would be both of us. Okay, and then that would put uh, that would put cheese to you and dessert to me. Unless you have an idea for cheese, then we can switch. I've got some cheese ideas. I know you're a cheese man too, so we can flip the proverbial coin. I mean, either or, or or we could just uh, we could just each each pitch and see which one we both like better. You know? Oh, sounds good. Well, let's let's go with meat though. So we got meat. And I am uh, I'm I have to flip my my note page over. I have so many notes. Uh. So many notes. I've, I've filled one eight and a half by eleven sheet of a notebook of a printer paper with handwritten notes. Filled. <laughs> nice. Filled. <laughs> nice. Half of it is the first course. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so meat. Uh, we, 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 now, to, for, to back everyone up, just in case anyone forgets the beginning of last episode, because that was a week ago. For us, it was last night, so it's fresh in our mind. Um, we talked about how we were going to collaborate on this menu, and one course, because it's origin stories, one course was going to be about us together, uh, something, that, something that we did together. Tarver, who is a little indisposed at the moment, uh, his idea was uh, the meat course could be the one we do together. So I don't know what he's about to say. We're going in cold. All right, TK, when you're able, take it away. However, take your time. I know you got, <laughs> I know you got other responsibilities. You're good, man. So, uh, you know, we're talking about origins. I mean, like the origin of us, you know, me, you, and Nate. There was a, a a beef course that has evolved and evolved and evolved over, like, starting with us over my you know, career since then. Um, I don't know if you remember when my god sister had that hookup for A5 Kobe and we were getting um, rib primals. Yeah. of a5 wagyu kobe and we you, think I, you know you we think were I forget you think that i forget the first time i ever got to work with a5 kobe i didn't <laughs> yeah, I, know. I miss it it was such a steady hookup and the price was not bad at all i already um, wrote i already wrote meat and potatoes on my note page am i wrong say that again sorry i already wrote meat and potatoes on my note page am i wrong no no yeah no so yeah <laughs> you said you, Trevor called it last week he said you're gonna know exactly where i'm going when we go into this yes. <laughs> But yeah, man. So, I mean, I don't know if you remember, we we dry aged those things even for a while, oh, yeah. um, and they were just absolutely breathtakingly <laughs> good. Making the most expensive piece of meat I've ever worked with more expensive. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. <laughs> I remember like saving all the fat and rendering it and using it for things. But man, I, I wish I could get more of that stuff. I just there's so many more things I've learned to do with beef fat since then. Okay. But um, a five Kobe dry aged. Um, and the, the thing that we came up with then, it was cooking, and I know it's not a new idea, but cooking meat where the guests can cook their own meat at the table. You know, like we, we yeah. did it for like kitchen and stuff like that. Like we even, you know, that was back when those blocks of Himalayan salt were, were cool and we were heating them up in the oven. And then we put a hot, a ripping hot, blazing hot chunk of salt on the table and they can cook their own beef on the salt. Yeah, man. Which is cool. But um, 
when when I moved up to Virginia from there, continued that concept, but used the river stones, um, like stones that have been you know in a river for you know years and years and years, and they're probably right, naturally polished, polished like, shiny. smooth. And we yeah. just clean it, clean them, clean them, clean them, and then you know put them in, in the oven, and then the guests could cook their meat on a rock in the at that table. I thought that would be an awesome um, jumping point, and then but the, I think it's the, great. But the flavor combination that we worked on there, that is a full on umami bomb. Like this was, these are the flavors that like when people don't really understand what umami is, this was it. Uh, But we came up with that malted steak sauce. Um, We used like a version of Stilton. And those two things with, with beef was like an umami nuclear bomb we i remember like hester blumenthal's mushroom ketchup the 16th century mushroom ketchup mm-hmm. it wasn't his recipe per se but he kind of developed his own or whatever well, but he, like he definitely gave you something that you could follow in your own kitchen if you weren't like a mind reader because those old 16th century recipes are so hard whereas blumenthal's was more like here's how to actually do this yeah but that mushroom ketchup like i, I would, that thing is unbelievably good what do you think about doing the beef with either the mushroom ketchup or the malted steak sauce and then we can work uh, out uh, can, like a how to I'll, do Stilton. I'll take that and run with it. All right. So I say we do the mushroom ketchup because the malted steak sauce has, uh, I'm sorry, the malted steak sauce has tomato ketchup in it. And I want to use tomato ketchup on a different component of this dish. So okay. I'd say I love the idea of the, the beef and the <sighs> mushroom and the mushroom ketchup. Uh, I love the idea of the Stilton. Um, and I'm not, I haven't thought through how to work with it yet, but the other component that I wanted to add we were we rendered the caps of the beef, and then we made sauce Sharon. Sauce Sharon yep. is hollandaise is béarnaise with tarragon pepper vinegar reduction in it, and it just gives it a little more depth. And then if you add tomato puree to the reduction, or if you just add ketchup, it works. To just add ketchup, it works really really well. They do it at the Savoy Hotel. <laughs> it's it's really? a legit it's a legal technique. Uh, it's a legal technique. <laughs> uh, if you if you take if you make a sauce Sharon. With ketchup, uh, if you add ketchup to a baronets, you get Sharon. If you make that sauce Sharon with rendered A5 uh, beef fat instead of butter, uh, then you, that, that was your idea. Do you not remember this? I do. I was going to, I was going to, I was going to say either that or Foyo. I might be saying that wrong. F-O-Y-O-T. With the meat glaze uh, in it? It's, yeah, it's like hollandaise, but with like, basically like demi glaze, like, you know, reduction of meat mm-hmm. stock and, and then animal fat instead of butter. Ooh. I say we go Sharon though, man. That, that's, that, that's that was just. I remember Nate took a big bite of it and he goes, "It's like licking a ribeye." Yeah. <laughs> Dude, the Sharon was so good; it was one of the best things I had um, at Woodlands. So why don't we do? First off, uh, here. So, so here, let me expand your idea. If we took the the Kobe ribs, pulled off the uh, pulled off the decals, cleaned them down, and then cleaned the rib loin down, and gave every guest like five or six slices of rib loin and three or four slices of deckle. So they have two different cuts to sear God, on, on yeah. their rock. And then three sauces. So you have the mushroom ketchup, the um, sauce Sharon. So the mushroom ketchup is acidic. And then the Sharon is over the top rich. And then the Stilton, which I don't even know that we need to do a sauce with the Stilton. I think maybe... Well, just have like like even like broiled Stilton or just like I wasn't even going to necessarily say broil. I was going to say cut slices of Stilton out and leave them in the warmest part of the kitchen all day. So it's like 
room well, you remember like what Heston did with like that Stilton butter where he like like slice Stilton and slice butter and kind of sandwich like the you know like were the Stilton, alternating layers where the Stilton perfumed the butter and the like so it's sort of like you got double your amount of Stilton flavor by just infusing it with, or you could yeah you could do a Stilton butter if you didn't want pure Stilton you could do you know make a Stilton I like your idea of just doing like a slice of Stilton that's like that's super like tempered room temperature plus like you know how the like find the part of the kitchen where it's like 110 degrees you're not under not on top of the heat lamp where it's just gonna melt and not over by the walk-in where it's just normal room temperature but kind of like on the speed rack next to the oven where like the, yeah. the, where the, the the grill guy's just dying, but the Stilton is like totally just no texture at all, spreadable. And then just Beautiful. do, so we got uh, our two cuts of beef, our three sauces, and then why don't you and I each do like three potato preps? Just tra- we'll, sp- we'll spit, we'll, you know, we'll trade fours and, um, and come up with a, like a bunch of little different potato preparations to put around the table. So you have the rock, the three sauces on hand, and then six little individual dishes of potatoes. And then the, the customer can just build their own. You are you feeling that? Yes, I am. Hang on one sec. Take it. Take your time. Okay. So, potato preparations. Um, and one has to be the uh, palm gato. This was something that Nate taught me, and it's like all it is is potatoes and salt, and it's one of the most perfect things where you like you know you grate potatoes, rinse every bit of starch out of them, russets work great. Um, nothing too uh. No, nothing too overly starchy like a Yukon Gold or like with too much sugars in it, like a Yukon Gold or something like that. But like russets work awesome. Um, grating, rinsing all the starch off, rinsing every dr- single drop of moisture or squeezing every single drop of moisture out of it. A blazing hot pan, dropping the potatoes in, a little bit of salt, and it's a very tricky thing of flipping it and roasting it in the oven. But it's like a, it's like a, a round galette, a pie, like a pie shape of like crispy potato on the yeah, outside. It's like, and it's like a potato roasty that's thicker. And yeah. the thing about flipping them is it's a three-stage thing. First off, you have to get it to not stick. Second off, you have to get it to not break while you flip it. And third off, you yeah. have to flip it without burning the fuck out of yourself, splashing your hand with grease. Yeah, it's tricky. You can do any two of those every time, but you can never yeah. do all three. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Nate and I both used that gateau for years. Um, I think he learned it at Pencil Grill. Um, I think Pum Gateau, that's a great one. All right, well, then uh, for my next one, for, for my first potato preparation... I'm going to say Pomme Delmonico. Cool. Uh, Pomme Delmonico is, uh, I got it out of uh, Le Repertoire de la Cuisine. I imagine it has something to do with Delmonico's restaurant in New York City, but I can't back that up. Le Repertoire de la Cuisine. By the way, guys, if you don't have it as a book, that is just a sort of list of different preparations. It's basically a culinary glossary. It doesn't have any background information on anything because this is the name. This is what it is for like 1900 through 1930, like high-end French and New York hotel cuisine. Or largely French, but there's there's a little bit of New York in there. Um, just because so many of the so many of the influential chefs in New York were French and they were well respected. Pomme Delmonico is you dice potatoes and it's gotta be a starchy potato. Like a russet is ideal. This would never work with a waxy potato. And you cover it with like 50-50 cream and milk, and then you boil it hard. Uh it's because you want to reduce the cream and you want to induce the potatoes to give off a lot of their starch. Uh and then so that basically as the cream is reducing down to where First, the milk is gone and it's just the cream. And then you slow it down because the, the thicker it gets, the more it's likely to burn. So by the end, you're stirring it constantly with a rubber spatula. And you've gotten these chunks of potatoes that are covered in this potatoy, starchy cream. Then you season that with salt. And white pepper is optional, uh, not required. Uh, and then from there, you I go, love white pepper and potatoes, man. Like I, a I... Little, but you got to be sparing. I mean, too much white pepper, everything tastes like hot and sour soup. Um, but you take these diced potatoes that are now totally coated in a, a cream sauce, salt, white pepper, and the flavor of the potato. 
So in Hong that sounds absolutely delicious. So you take you take the diced potato in their potato cream and spoon them into ramekins, top them up with a little breadcrumb, and uh, just broil them until they bubble until the breadcrumbs start to brown. Dude, I don't think I've ever had that. That sounds absolutely incredible. It's 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 my favorite gratin because it's a lot easier than the sliced ones. It's like way less labor intensive, but it's almost kind of better to eat because like eating a potato stew with breadcrumbs on top. Yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that tonight. Yeah, it's super easy. I, it's 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 not yeah. hard at all. The only place you can run into trouble is if you put too much liquid in. Like, start with less liquid than you think you need because you can always add a little more. And if you start with too much liquid, you just get shitty mashed potatoes. Um, and yeah. then the the other danger is once it starts to like once the starch has really started to thicken up the cream sauce, you got to go slow and really baby it uh, gently because otherwise you'll mash potatoes and you can burn it. Those are the only ways you can go wrong. I made it right the first try out of a book when I was 22 years old. Um, right. And I, the book was La Repertoire. So it was just two sentences. <laughs> like I've already given That's you awesome. more I've already given you more information than La Repertoire gave me and I nailed it when I was 22. So I'm positive you can do it now. Um, what do you think about cuz I mean that pom de Monaco sounds amazing. Pongolette, what do you think about a pom fondant so that just kind of just perfect perfectly cooked pom fondant brown yeah. and beef fat, a little bit of beef broth. Um, so pom fondant, like, so everyone knows, uh, is uh, potatoes cooked into a, like you tourne them or cut them into football shapes and then just brown them in fat, in this case beef fat, because why not? I was thinking like punching it out like a hockey puck. So okay, it's like yeah. a no, so it's I, like a little silly. I'd, I'd probably be the one tourneying them anyway, so I'm all into that. <laughs> yeah. I like it like that because it's like a flat texture and like if you, if you do it right, like you get this nice crisp like shell to it you know and fondant means melting like fondue is melted cheese that you dip stuff in fondant means like of melting texture so a pom fondant yeah. is all about is having hard shell around potato that's like explosively starchily soft inside so i think that's a great yeah. idea um i would like to counter with just uh the potato puree yeah dude the remember the whole denatured potato puree i was gonna go uh, i don't know man my favorite was the whole just six potatoes roasted hard the the ones we did back in the like the old school the nature was cool but it never touched the uh, in my opinion it never touched the one that you and Nate taught me where you just took the six roasted that is potatoes good. pricked them salted them roasted the hell out of them uh, like the nature potato puree was cool because it avoided waste you could use it the next day but I still don't think it ever beat like the potato puree that you taught me and I can link everyone to a recipe that I have up on Quora dot com uh, where I sort of told how to make it uh, on the on the blog. Uh, that is, I, I had the potatoes at Robichon and those are better. Nice. Yeah, I do remember. They're really good. I think it's a good idea. And like uh, some the, good Echeray butter or like a, or, well, you know, like a, they hold so much butter. They hold so much, yeah. they hold so much butter. It's a little alarming. I'm like, yeah. it's, it's like six potatoes to one pound of butter. And then by, by weight, by weight, that's more potatoes than butter until you bake the potatoes. And you crush all the moisture out of them. You cook the potatoes until they're like they're like rocks on the outside. And you put yeah, it's like 50-50. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's more like 50-50 when the, when the chips come down. Basically, you're driving moisture out of the potatoes so they can take more butter. And then you pass them through a chinois so they're perfectly smooth. Season them with just like lots of salt and nothing else. The only flavors, potatoes, salt, butter, maybe a little bit of cream that you don't even really taste. Just to keep it from breaking. It's just yeah, to hold it together. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a structural component more than anything else. Those are the best potato puree I've had. Uh, anywhere that's amazing and i'm saying like and yeah the trouble is that it takes an hour to make them and it only makes a six pan and it's really hard to do more like you can't do more than a couple of quarts of those at a time i think that's why they're so awesome that's why rubbish doesn't do that 
because he they they give a spoon to every person that comes in there. You could do those. Maybe you could be. You have to have four interns where that was their whole job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, potato gateau that's crunchy. Delmonico is creamy with crunchy on top. Fondant is uh, crispy. The potato puree uh, is super soft. I said, like, we already have four potato preps. We might not need all six. We've already got a lot. No, I was going to say, let's, let's just do four. And then what do you think of just like a bright, crisp, bitter salad? You know, like an endive or something like that? Perfect. Perfect. Like a little, I mean, it had to be like a full-on Lyonnaise salad. But like, what about like, you know, like endive, like a straight-up red wine, mustard, uh, vinaigrette, you know? And I think that not not too many components, just like the the yeah like shavings of raw onion, just like yeah endive and onion, so just astringent flavors to, to counteract all this richness, and then like yeah. like lusty monk mustard and a splash of red wine vinegar and some really good olive oil and call it a day. That is stunning. That is a stunning course, man. Okay, cool. Uh, I will write all that down. Um, actually, let me write it down and read you what I got, and then then you can take off and do your thing, um, and okay. then uh, we'll we'll catch back up later in the day. And we only have okay. two more courses. Dude, uh, I can't wait. So what I have is meat and potatoes. That's deckle and ribeye. Uh, cook on a rock with mushroom ketchup, beef fat Sharon, warm room temperature Stilton, uh, four preparations of potatoes, and endive salad vinaigrette. Dude, that sounds fucking perfect. Perfect. I will I will call it, and we will reconvene in a little while to uh, finish the episode. <laughs> so I'll take the cheese course. And... Uh, one of my dad's favorite foods growing up when I was growing up was uh, he liked to make crepes for breakfast and he thought he was nice. avoiding, he thought he was being a hippie and like avoiding, avoiding refined sugar. But you do it with like Dan and vanilla yogurt, which is totally sweetened. And then Smucker's grape jelly, which is pretty much all sugar. It's just little, straight sugar. <laughs> a, little, a little bit of grape juice in there for flavor and some pectin to hold together, but it's pretty much just grape syrup made with cane sugar held together with pectin. So they didn't know anything about food and my mom couldn't cook at all at all. <laughs> But and she did every day, which was not good. Um, but uh, my dad would like take over like duty on the weekends and do stuff. So he would do crepes every once in a while. So the go-to crepe was vanilla yogurt and grape jelly. And it's actually not bad. It's not bad at all. But so I wanted to do kind of like we've already got so many savory courses going on. I kind of wanted to do as a cheese course almost a pre-dessert. You know, something that okay. is starting to walk over into the sweet side of things, but it's still a cheese course. So nice. uh, so I'm taking a childhood dish. And sort of converting that into a cheese course. Now, one of my favorite cheeses in the world is Briat Savarin. Nice, yeah. Like ultra triple cream. It's like brie, but more down the brie, more down the brie rabbit hole than brie is. Just all milk fat oh, and salt, yeah. and just a little bit of a tang from the ferment. Uh, I just, love it. Yeah. Just imagine if you haven't had Briat Savarin, you need to. Just imagine, like you know, the difference between cheddar cheese and brie. Go one more step in that direction. Like yeah. <laughs> if it's cold, Two or three it's, steps. <laughs> it's it's it, 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 it's so fatty that if it's cold, it's firm. Like you can tap on it like a piece of cold butter. Uh, but if it's room temperature, it's totally spreadable. Uh, it's cheese goo. It's so good. Yeah, and it. But the thing is, it doesn't go out when it ripens much like a washed around cheese. It actually kind of holds its shape, even if it's even if it's ultra ripe. Well, I mean, there you cross a line, but like even if it's really ripe, you can still slice. That's it. also because this is the of cream cheese, you know. It is. It's kind of like what cream cheese is trying unsuccessfully to be. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, so my thoughts with that were take the yogurt out and replace it with Briat Savarin and then take the grape jelly out and replace it with some kind of fruit compote. And so just do a crepe. I don't know if she did or food. She did. Oh, my goodness. 
featuring Henley on backing vocals. Uh, <laughs> uh, my thought was, uh, so take make make crepes, just normal crepe batter. Maybe uh, the kind of, like the one out of Bo Freiburg, uh, which uh, yep. I'll put a link on the I'll put a link on the uh, page. We've we've hyped that book a lot. Freiburg crepe batter, the one with a little splash of brandy in it. Batter, yeah. the, the one with a little splash of brandy in it. Uh, you know, already taking us towards pre-dessert, like a semi, a semi dessert course, something that's not totally sweet. It's kind of sweet and salty. And then pieces of Briat Savaran cut into little paves, little like rectangular slices. And I was thinking just cut it onto little pieces of wax paper and then let it totally temper. So then when you, you put it down, like flip the wax paper or cheese piece over onto a quarter of the crepe and then peel the wax paper off and then just fold the warm crepe around it and let it melt a little bit with the ambient heat of the crepe. That sounds amazing. That sounds really, really tasty, man. And so, uh, by, but my only thought past that is, um, take rip the the Smucker's Concord grape jelly away, and replace it with some kind of fruit compound. And I haven't really thought that through much. Uh, I was sort of thinking huckleberry, but I hadn't gotten that far. Have you ever had a frost grape? No. They they grow wild. I think they grow down there. Um, it's a wild grapevine. Uh, they grow up trees. I mean, they'll grow all the way. They'll grow hundreds of, foot, of feet up into the air. Um, but they're small. They're like the, the the grapes themselves are a little bit bigger than a currant, but they're okay. dark blue. And they and they get their name frost grape because they they don't really turn sweet until after the first frost. Oh yeah, okay. And like, it reminds me of ice yeah, wine. Yeah, but and the the grapes themselves are like, I mean, ten percent juice. I mean, it's it's just a pit. And some skin. I was gonna say, are they yeah. all pit? That seems like those those wild grapes are always all pit. Yeah, maybe not ten percent juice. Maybe more like 20 percent juice. But yeah, but it's just all pit. But the way that you do it is, you know, you find these vines growing in the forest. You know, they look just like grape leaves. And um, you know, after the first frost or so, just like you know, use your whole body weight and hang on a vine and just pull the whole sucker down. You know, timber and you know, just go with some scissors and clip a whole bunch and just like fill a whole pot. Um, and just like, you know, your standard fruit juicing on a stove method where you like, you know, like a, a splash of water. Uh, so just, and then you put them in all in a pot with a splash of water and you put it on high heat and cover it. And they just, you know, the, the boiling water creates steam. The juice just wilts out of the grapes and you end up with this like really um, dark. And, and honestly, like it is very, very close to concord to the flavor of concord but it just has more of a woody flavor almost like an oaky concord grape jelly and it's lighter in color like concord grape jelly is like you know like a deep you know rich purpley blue yeah, it's like it's um, like grimace purple it's like purple purple yeah this is more of the kind of purple you see in a sunset like the kind of okay magenta cyan kind of color well could you um, take could you make a frost grape J jelly like with because it doesn't sound like you get a lot of fruit pulp it sounds like you're really working for the juice and hanging in a jelly you, bag and it's all it juice through. yeah uh could you take some like i mean it's autumn but you could you fold like a melange of dried berries into a frost grape like maybe plump the dried berries and some uh plump some dried dried berries and some uh inexpensive ice wine and then uh fold those into into uh ice grape jelly like hydrate some hydrate some even the ice wine's kind of a bridge too far hydrate some you know dried huckleberry uh and maybe a little dried uh little dried huckleberry dried blueberry uh 
hydrate those and then moisten them with some ice grape jelly and do sort of a like a dried berry and ice grape jelly compote and have that be sort of a chunky pale purple like pale purple jelly with chunks of dark purple dried fruit all through it and use that as a compote for the crepe you could definitely do that um so you're looking for like that chunky compote texture i mean it seems with with just a crepe and some super super on uh like some cheese that's almost lost all its texture it seems like something like that would be in there yeah i see what you mean yeah um but do you, yeah do you no, totally, would, would, would totally that, do that i mean you could that, even make like a frost grape jelly instead of like where i just said water you could use ice wine there um to kind of give, give it like the frost grape jelly itself well i'd be worried about of, i'd be worried about trampling the flavor like it's because you've already got one a grape flavor binding dried fruit compote i thought I, at first i thought about ice wine for a second because that's what frost grapes made me think of but it seems like if, if, if our frost grapes, I mean, how mild is the flavor? Are they kind of a cool product that we'd be like dumping stuff all over? I, it's the same strength as a Concord. Like they're, they're profoundly grapey. Yeah. I don't think it really needs, I don't think, the, I don't think the ice wine's really necessary. I think it was, you know what, let's serve this course with ice wine. That would be the thing. Yeah. Pairing with the ice wine, I think would be a stellar way to go. Yeah. So let's, let's not worry about the ice wine in the dish. So, uh, for, like a dried fruit compote bound in ice grape jelly, over just a simple brandy scented crepe with a little piece of melting brioche savarin inside. That sounds absolutely delicious. I mean, that? what kind of like fruits? I, I I tend to kind of think more, uh, keep everything centered a little bit. I know a dried okay. grape is just a raisin, but you know, like keeping. Actually, I got a, I got a different idea. I, I like the idea of centering it you're right like adding in a bunch of different fruits kind of muddles it i think uh, you, you got a good point there maybe just bring in a couple of different grape flavors uh a couple of different wild grapes uh and here seasonality is not really a factor because we're dealing with preserves so you could have uh ice grape jelly and for instance scuppernog compote you know, scuppernogs man i miss those those don't grow up here that so i've that, seen that way you've got a couple of different like you've got a chunky scuppernog compote and then like a smooth like swoop of uh, ice grape jelly swoop, of course, being a technical term. Uh, all that. Do you remember when we used to grill scuppernog? We grilled the scuppernogs over like smoldering ro rosemary. Yeah, it made the entire kitchen smell like weed. <laughs> 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 I mean, the, would that be too overpowering? No, I think I think a little uh, rosemary smoked scuppernog compote, ice grape jelly, and then brioche savarin and a crepe. That sounds great. Sounds pretty good, right? Um, does it need a nut component, like a little toasted pecan, or is texture that... for sure? Whether so like, it's nuts or, or not. I mean, are you going to use nuts in your dessert? Yes. Okay, what do you then. think about what do you think about taking some of the crepes and either, you know, like julienne and and frying them, or like julienne and like you know turning them into little birds' nests, or um, like crepe, or crepe crepe twills, crepe cookies. I mean, that might be kind of interesting too. Like, if if you're saying like rolling the crepe around and like it would be like a conical shape. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like you, could just, you, took, you could just uh, make dehydrated. You could make dehydrated crepe straw. Yeah. Okay. Or okay. and like, what if you were to roll the crunchy crepe inside the crepe with the gooey cheese? You know, so it's kind of like crunchy in there, like a you know, the crunchy could, sushi. Bowl. That could be good too. You probably want to put some crunchies on top too, just to sort of just in case the ones get totally swallowed up by the cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me write this down. All right, so here's what I've written down. Briat Savarin crepe, <laughs> ice grape chalet, grilled scuppernong compote, and dehydrated crepe straw. Dude, that sounds delicious, man. Yeah. Pair with a nice ice wine. Yeah, absolutely.
All right, dessert. And it's a nice balanced cheese course too. It's like, don't get me wrong, I love like big bold cheeses for a cheese course, but usually when you have like a big bold cheese, like, you know, Morbier, I don't know. Don't get me wrong, I love big bold cheese courses, um, you know. What cheese did I say? Morbier? I guess not really a big cheese, but what am I trying to think of? Like a poisse or... Yeah, exactly. I know, I know, you know what you're saying. Like a big old cheese, but like usually when you do like something that's profound like that, especially in a long taste, you, know, you want to like cleanse your palate before you get to it. Yeah, like this would be a nice flow from, you know. I wouldn't even want to do anything with a poisse. Just put a piece of a poisse on the table. Be like, boom, there you go. But that's that's not what there this you go. is. That's, yeah, it's hard to cook with a poisse. It's hard to do anything to it that stops it. Anything you do to it is going to make it less than what it is. At least and, and to my mind, like there are certain yeah. products certain products that you just want to get the hell out of their way. Uh, and and plus is one of them. Uh, just like, you know, if you've got badass Iranian eccentric caviar, I'm like, don't do a dish with it. Just eat it. Like, if you want to play with caviar, yeah, play with it. caviar that's less perfect. <laughs> uh, so I, I feel I feel the same way. Also, because this this menu has so much savory on it. And that I sort of thought maybe turn the cheese yeah. course into uh, kind of a gateway to dessert. You know what I mean? Like uh, sort of the beginnings of the pre-dessert. Yeah, I do. All right. Well, uh, dessert's all you. I love it. I think it's awesome. Dude, man. We're gonna we're gonna get through this. Well, I'm gonna change up because that cheese course is is awesome. Uh, I, I had something else in mind, but I think a different dessert would be better. Um, something a little bit lighter. Um, oh no, what's a floating island? Um, done this method before, but something what, a little is, bit different. Is there, um, is there an origin? Island, so, is there or is there an origin story connection? Yes. Um, this goes back to my grandma. Um, uh, my mom actually just brought me, uh, the last of her book collection that my aunt had. Um, and in there, it's so amazing. I haven't gone, even gotten touched all of, I mean, this was all of her notes on floating Island and all these different methods. And I've seen, I saw flow story, but she's, you know, family and, uh, my career has been. Yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know how this means origin, but. You know, family lineage and like you know, I mean, yeah, was, uh, about my grandmother cooking that kind of got me interested in it in the first place. Um, and floating island was like one of her favorite things, and that's something my mom has told me is that my grandmother would make. Yeah, how do you say it in French? Il de flottante. Il de flottante. Yeah, all the time. It old school, you know, where you whip the meringues and kind of bake them and all that kind of stuff. But this, uh, this is a this is something a method. This is a this is a, a, a concept or, or a method at least that's been worked on for a while. Um, okay. Doing an, an, a floating island like this, so it's not new. Um, but the dish itself would be all the components and everything would be just for this, I guess. So uh, egg whites, um, sugar, uh, the seeds of a vanilla bean, um, a, spl a splash of lemon juice in an ISI gun, charged three times, like a heavy amount of of pressure. Um, right, super poof. It, super poof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got the seeds. Those are not for eating, okay? I know they look like a berry, but they're not. Um, super poof. And then in a pot, on usually on, on a low flame or like on the edge of a grill, um, a very light spiced uh, syrup. Not not thick at all, um, just like a sweet almost like a like uh, the amount of sugar you'd put in the sweet tea to oh, yeah. to what they call what they call light syrup as opposed to a simple mm -hmm. syrup light syrup spiced you know for those autumn kind of flavors like cookie nutmeg. spices nutmeg cookie spice. spices nutmeg allspice clove 
cinnamon, that kind of thing. Um, in a big fat ladle, like an eight ounce ladle. Well, no, 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 we, we got seven quarts, so like a four, four ounce ladle. <laughs> eight ounce a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, you like warm the ladle in the syrup and then drain all the syrup out of the ladle, shoot the meringue into the ladle um, to get like a nice shape and then slowly lay it, uh, pour it out into the, into the syrup out of the ladle. And it'll like, like the, so you're looking for like a little, baseball shape like it, it won't be a perfect sphere obviously but like, like a, this like a, size like a of a dome. baseball yeah and then you kind of baste it in the hot syrup rolling it around rolling it around it puffs up a little bit until, until it gets nice and solid um and so then opposing flavors so uh a nug like a a little nugget of chocolate ganache um that's chilled so it sets like a truffle and so yeah. and then when it's poached take it out with a slotted spoon, slide up uh, the truffle inside the warm meringue, and then lay it down on a plate. Hit it with a blowtorch just a little bit, just to kind of caramelize sugars and, oh, and it's nice dude. and fragrant. <laughs> um, and then a simple anglaise, um, mimicking the spices from the syrup um, to get poured over it table side. Um, and then opposing temperatures, and this is where you know, let me know what you think. Like, um, we haven't used hazelnuts yet, but like a really cold, frozen rubble, you know, gravel, if you will, of like hazelnuts, caramelized white chocolate. Um, have you ever had us? Um, oh, Jesse, my mind's going blank again. What's the name of that candy? Um, you basically make, basically make almost like you're making brittle without the nuts. Uh, praline? It's not praline. Yeah, similar, but like, okay. um, even more aerated. Uh, they have different sponge, names for it. It's gonna sponge candy. Sponge candy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like sponge candy. You know, like all like super super cold in the freezer, like almost like a freeze dried kind of. Get, would you want to get the freeze dried kind of like going for? Would you want to texture. get in there? Foy yeah, dude. Foyatine. Um, Foyatine, by the way, for those following at home, is basically like a really really thin hazelnut cookie batter that they spray onto, I think they spray it onto a griddle and then break it up. It's like this micro, it's, imagine a, a paper thin cookie made of hazelnuts yeah. and sugar, caramelized and crunched up. It comes in a bag and it's got all sorts of pastry uses. Yeah, it's like the inside of a Twix, like yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like, it's 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 airy, sweet, crunchy, amazingness. It's kind of like chili crisp, except not spicy or Asian at all. Sweet, <laughs> yeah. nutty instead. I realize that's insane, but... Uh, <laughs> I like that you remember the chili crisp. That's awesome. Oh, I'm still gonna. Um, anyway, so like, I had vanilla like ice cream. By the way, I had I had chili crisp and vanilla ice cream. Uh, you're nuts, but it's awesome. <laughs> it's good, right? Yeah. <laughs> Was that your idea? That had to so be your good. idea. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway, so like this kind of frozen nutty, you know, crumble that's like really really cold. So like the hot toasted meringue, the ganache, you know, melts in the middle. So it's like this little, you know ooze of chocolate that comes pouring out and then table side you know a warm spiced on glaze that gets poured over it and it kind of lifts up and floats what do you right. think I, I think it's great i'm writing it down right now and i'll read what i got all right what i have is br brulee brulee floating island warm ganache spiced creme anglaise frozen hazelnut sponge candy praline crumble or keeled diabetes flowing <laughs> oh yeah absolutely um you like the way that reads i, I think it's i think it sounds good 
I would, you know what? Like if we were to write that on a menu or something, I wouldn't even mention the ganache, like a like a, a chocolatey surprise. Okay. So I will leave that out. Uh, I will leave that out of the menu copy because I am going to type a menu up for all this. Um, Sweet. I think this is a really great menu you have come up with. Uh, and I, uh, I also realized that you got pressing matters you got to attend to. Uh, so we get the straight up party over there. So I'm just going to say this has been one of the most fun episodes I can remember doing. This is no fun, one man. It's a good yeah. idea. It was dude. a different kind of fun than the ones where we're all drunk. Like this, <laughs> this was a little bit more fun. A little bit more of an intellectual exercise and a little bit less of us just like running our mouths awesomely uh awesomely in our opinion <laughs> but i'm gonna go ahead and sign us off because tarver king obviously has other things to do uh so uh in this case uh for super king super dad tarver king uh i am still uh the mouth of the south uh the uh currently and probably forever childless jesse sutton uh speak easy is gonna play us out of here this has been such a fun exercise tk thank you so much for hanging out with me today i love you man yeah this Thanks is too, fun man. That was awesome. All right. Well, in that case, uh, for hot dogs and caviar, this is uh, Tarver and Jesse signing off. Keep your head up. Come on, baby. Just 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 keep your head up.